Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history underneath. I'm your host, Jem Daduchu, and what we're doing this time around is something a little bit different and something that I am blatantly lifting, Jem said politely, from a YouTube video that I saw. So, just to explain the background to this first of all, I'm a big fan of Dan Merle. If you don't know who he is, he sort of started off his better known career at least working on a YouTube channel called Screen Junkies. They're perhaps best known for their Honest Trailers, and he started cutting his teeth being an editor on the Honest Trailer series. But then we saw him come in front of the screen when they started doing something called Movie Fights, and he was incredibly knowledgeable about movies, and 99% of the time I agreed with him and loved his takes on things. So at that point I was kind of interested in him but then he moved on to doing talking about the week's box office and putting it into context and rather than grabbing big headlines he would talk through things logically and his favorite phrase is does the film have legs as in will it keep going and going it isn't about the initial opening box office if week two it falls off a cliff what you want is sustained money thank you very much so yeah i've always loved him because of that then he went off and started doing his own things he's now got his own youtube channel i don't know two three years ago called dan merle that's double r double l dan merle movies check it out on youtube i don't know why i'm saying this stuff he has much bigger viewership than this podcast has listenership but hey dan if you do actually listen to this episode hello big fan loved you for all the years and turning 40 isn't as bad as turning 50 so what he did to celebrate the fact that in 2023 he's turning 40 is he talked about his 40 films that sort of influenced him so one from each year and it wasn't necessarily the best film of that year and it wasn't necessarily that he saw that film in that year let's face it who goes to the movies when you're six months old or something like that well, you might have been taken you're certainly not going to remember it but just the films that sort of sculpted him as he moved through life and i lifted that and that's what i'm doing because he's turned 40 in 2023 and i'm turning 50 your power's a weak old man in 2023 which is a very depressing thing to say there is a great quote that i love which is 40 is the old age of youth and 50 is the youth 
of old age. And that feels right. Now, I'm not going to start giving you my exact birthday details or my PIN number or social security number, etc., okay? But I'm going to keep it vague. But yeah, this is the year I turn 50. Although the weird thing is, I don't feel 50. So, without further ado, it, he did 40 over 40 years. I'm doing 50, so I better crack on with this. So I'm going to say for the super famous movies, I will do perhaps one line about how it ties into my life or what it particularly affects me. But I'll spend more time talking about the films you're probably less likely to know. And you're going to start spotting themes. And also, some of these won't come as a surprise, because I've already talked about a number of them already on this podcast. So, let's get on with it. Get on with it. Yes, get on with it. In 1973, I'm going for The Sting. Now, this is an example of a movie that was a huge hit in the year. And as I was growing up, Everybody knew about Paul Newman and Robert Redford in this movie, his second one after Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. But here they are in sort of uh, 1920s, 1930s, sort of Depression-era America and their hustlers, con men. I gave him the breakdown just like you said. And? It's good. He threatened to kill me. Hell, kid, they don't do that. You know, you're not getting to him. And movies love a good con man because... You can sort of see them acting as different people in different scenes. The actors love it, but you're sort of in on the gag. You sort of like, you know that they're trying to sort of like trick this person. It's very satisfying in a movie way. And a lot of the stuff from The Sting has been reused in other movies. But one of the key things is we're in the 1970s, you know, so we're sort of like post-Hendrix and we're into the era of things like Led Zeppelin and... We're sort of like moving into disco, although 73 is a bit early for that, but you, you get the idea. So what was the soundtrack? It was sort of a contemporary ragtime is the type of sort of proto-jazz of the 20s going into the 30s. That they decided to use, which was very unusual for the time. And actually, the album of the movie sold incredibly well. And I remember listening to... The, I mean, I don't know if Greg, Greg, it would be great if you can stick in berries. you got lots of clips that you can use this time around, so sorry. But maybe a brief snippet of the theme tune to The Sting, which most people have kind of heard, and it doesn't sound like it comes from the 1970s, but it was. So there we go, that was 73. 74, Godfather Part 2. If history's taught us anything, it says you can kill anyone. Moving on, <laughs> 75. Jaws. This is the one that's going to annoy Dan. Because he was born after me, and so I know pretty much his favourite movie is Jaws. But yeah, Jaws for 75. Again, you all know what it is. 76, Rocky. If you've been listening to this podcast, I've done a whole episode on the Rocky franchise. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Everybody knows I've got a soft spot for Stallone. Again, I will move on. 77, Star Wars. That's what I'm going to call it. Of course, nowadays it's called Star Wars A New Hope Episode 4. So, yeah, but it's Star Wars, okay? And again, everybody knows what that is. Your power's a weak old man. 1978, looking back at it, was quite a thin year. There was a lot of stuff there that I couldn't care less about. There were sort of very big hits of their time. So what I'm going to go for is the film that I really grew up with. I remember seeing this in the movies, actually in the cinema itself, and obviously 
endlessly on TV and then later on video, etc. And that's Superman the motion picture. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Again, you all know that one. 79, very different movie, Apocalypse Now. Charging a man with murder in this place was like handing out speeding tickets at the Indy 500. Again, I'm going to say you probably know a fair bit about that film, but if you're not aware, there is The Heart of Darkness, not the book it's based on, but there is actually The Heart of Darkness, A Filmmaker's Apocalypse, which was basically a fly-on-the-wall documentary about the making and the incredibly arduous, awful undertaking that was Apocalypse Now, directed by Francis Ford Coppola's wife. Sort of like watching her husband slowly descend into madness as everything goes wrong around him. And that is basically as good as the movie. That's a really intense double bill. I would thoroughly recommend you watch both the documentary and if you haven't seen Apocalypse Now, or at least for a while, there are obviously lots of different versions of Apocalypse Now. Fill your boots as to which one you want to do there. In 1980, again, an obvious one, Empire Strikes Back. What I find interesting is by 1980, the knockoffs of Star Wars were starting to come out. So Empire Strikes Back is a very gritty, dark, it's sort of almost a stripped-down version, a much more mature version of Star Wars. It was a great sequel because it really did evolve the universe and evolve the characters. Sir, the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1! Never tell me the odds! Same year, Flash Gordon came out, which is a guilty pleasure. Uh, and you couldn't get more Technicolor and vivid and camp and kitsch compared to actually how the Star Wars franchise was evolving there. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! But yeah, Empire's my pick. By the way, there will be a couple of times I pick two movies in a year. You might say that's cheating. Tough. My list, okay? <laughs> I'm having fun with this. As you can see, I'm ripping through some of these. 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Of course it is. There's a big snake in the plane, Jock! Oh, that's just my pet snake, Reggie! I hate snakes, Jock! I hate them! Now, this one needs no introduction. You probably already worked out I'm going to like this one. It's one of the things that made me, got me interested in archaeology. I have a degree in it, so, you know, that got me that far. Very disappointed during the degree I didn't get to shoot any Nazis, but anyway. But the thing about Raiders is, as a little kid, I was whatever, seven, eight when it came out, and the bit where he says to Marion, close your eyes, you know, basically don't look at what's going to happen. My mum put her hands over my eyes and I couldn't, I could hear what was going on, couldn't see what was going on. And and it is a great moment for, for parents to say, look, this bit might be too much for little kids, so just put your hands over your eyes. It is a great moment. So anyway, there we go. Then we get to 1982 and I have to make a bit of a Sophie's Choice between two movies. I'm using that reference because that's when Sophie's Choice came out. If you don't know what that is, it's a horrible movie. I mean, it's a very amazing movie starring Meryl Streep about the Holocaust where this woman has to choose. The Nazis make her try and choose between one of her two children, which one's going to live and which one's going to die. Absolutely horrible moment and very powerful movie. Huge box office at the time and again getting the conversation about the Holocaust going in the early 80s. But I've got two very different movies here, E.T. and First Blood. So again, E.T. needs no introduction, and as a child, I just bawled my eyes out. E.T. 
First Blood, I remember seeing the trailer and sort of seeing the two bandoliers of bullets, sort of like the, the belts of bullets over his vest of Stallone, thinking that looks like a cool, exciting movie. Well, look, John, we can't have you running around out there wasting friendly civilians. There are no friendly civilians. Years went by before I finally saw it, and it's not that action movie I thought it was. Yes, it has action in it, but it is. A bit like Rocky, both those franchises start with rather thoughtful, downbeat movies. And they then sort of like blow up into something much bigger and jingoistic and silly at times as well. But First Blood is a really underrated film and a reminder that, you know what, Stallone can actually act. Let's move on to 1983. It'll come as no surprise to you. Return of the Jedi. The rebellion will be crushed and young Skywalker will be one of us. Then 84, Ghostbusters. Certainly not the best film of the year, but yeah, very special effects heavy. And for an 11-year-old gem absolutely loving it and i then realized watching it with my kids many many years later i kind of based my my character on bill murray in that movie sort of like this sort of sassy quippy I've, I've obviously tried to be more quippy as i've grown up i'm not saying i compare to to peter venkman by the way but this is one of those movies where I can pretty much recite the entire screenplay because I've just seen it so many times. I got a lot of love for that film. It's got some really inappropriate jokes in there for kids, but they went over my head when I was a small child, okay? There we go. So, 1985, Back to the Future, got to be really. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Again, it's just one of these perfect films. Like a, a number of these films, it's all like the acting's perfect, so like the special effects and screenplay's perfect, the direction's perfect, the music adds so much to it as well. There's just nothing, you know, would you ever see a director's cut of Back to the Future? No, because it's perfect. It doesn't need any changes. Yeah, a few of the special effects of age, but they, the interesting idea is the sort of like the two lines of fire. Yeah, that's a very simple special effect and gives you this sense of sort of speed, etc. And just seeing those two lines of fire on the ground, it's basically lighter fluid on the floor. But, you know, because it's a real effect, it still works great. Little sidebar on that, I went on a ride about special effects at Universal Studios rather than rather than Disney. Well, actually, I can't remember where, where, which one of the ones it was in, but I was in LA, I was in with, with my girlfriend, now wife, and they, they were standing in the queue for the special effects thing, and they said, we need somebody, there, so they need to be roughly this tall, etc. Got to be a guy, blah, blah, blah. And I put my hand up, and they went, okay, yeah, fine, come this way. And then basically what it was is we were recreating the scene where Doc is on top of the tower next to the clock trying to put the two pieces of the, the clips together to get the electricity to go down. And I was standing there, and I was, I was putting a wig, and I was putting a lab coat, and I'm trying to sort of like, obviously they didn't quite reach, but they're explaining how the scene was created for special effects. And I'm standing there as a live version of Doc. And then the gag is, there's then a flash and I'm spun round. And so I'm on the inside, uh, so they can't see me anymore. And then on the outside, you see that on this occasion, Doc didn't make it. And there's a skeleton sort of smoking standing there. And I'd just like to say that one scene, I, I could go blow for blow with Christopher Lloyd. I can't, but anyway, that, that's what put a smile on my face. Then we come to 1986. It is interesting when you start looking at these. So once we get into the 80s, we are getting into these sort of like big special effects driven movies. You know, I've mentioned Return of the Jedi and Indiana Jones, E.T. and obviously Back to the Future and Ghostbusters. But then in 86, two very different films. One again, very special effects laden. Aliens. It's just a perfect sequel. It's a 
perfect sci-fi movie. It's also a great analogy for Vietnam. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. But also I'm going to put in Platoon, which is about Vietnam, directed by a man who got two Purple Hearts in Vietnam, who got Dale Dye, who was basically in Vietnam and also was there on site to sort of like create a boot camp. It was one of the first occasions where the actors actually put on a boot camp to make them work like a real unit as opposed to something like The Dirty Dozen, which is a fine, fun movie, but you don't believe any of it, whereas Platoon feels real, and you can feel almost the dirt under your fingernails and sort of seeping into your soul with the horrible things that you see portrayed in that movie. Hell is the impossibility of reason. That's what this place feels like. So, I can't pick between those two. They are both great movies. Platoon is such a hammer blow, by the way. It, you know, if you, if you haven't seen it, bring a comfort blanket definitely don't make it a date movie but it's an amazing film very powerful film and aliens is just nail biting so there we go can't really pick that one then we get to 87 and it's even harder for me because if you again listen to this podcast you're going to know that i love predator knock, knock. i also love lethal weapon you ever met anybody you didn't kill. And also, another film that just doesn't get the, the love or conversation is The Untouchables. Well, if you're afraid of getting a rotten apple, don't go to the barrel. Get it off the tree. So, The Untouchables, again, is an example of one of these sort of like historical dramas where it looks great. They paint very little attention to the actual history, for the record. It's, it's almost entirely wrong, apart from the fact that Al Capone gets done for tax evasion. Yeah, that was about it. But everybody looks great in their Armani suits. It has the amazing scene at the end in the station. I'm not going to train station. I'm not going to say any more than that if you haven't seen it. And it stars Kevin Costner. Sean Connery actually gets an Oscar for playing an Irish-American man, Scottish, for some reason. But he's great at it. He's absolutely great at it. But the music, the direction the you know everything around it works so so well and nobody talks about the untouchables anymore people generally aren't talking a lot about lethal weapon either predators got a shot in the arm thanks to prey that came out in 2022 that isn't on my list for 22 by the way so there we go so lots of action going on in 87s you can have it historical you can have it buddy or you can have it sci-fi so there we go 88 Again, I'm going to have to split it to very different movies. Die Hard, obviously, I'm going to say Die Hard for 88. Who are you, then? Just a fly in the ointment, Hans. But also, this was the year Akira came out. What the hell is this Akira thing, huh? So this is the anime movie by Katsuhiro Tomo. This is all based on the manga of Akira. The manga hadn't actually finished in 88 and 87 when it was being actually animated. This is a tour de force of animation. Nothing, no sort of like cheap animation. This was incredibly intricate, hand-drawn animation. No CGI or anything like that. Just billowing smoke is beautifully animated in that movie. It made me realize that there was a whole world of anime out there. I still love anime in... I'm not one of these people... Like, some of my kids are just, and, and it seems that this generation really are into their anime, and it's like, I'm not going to sit there and watch My Hero Academia or, or something like that. But I, I watched the whole of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, which is an amazing and sensational series. I do recommend that. So yeah, I, I love my anime, but also Die Hard, okay? So let's move on to 89. It's going to be Batman. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. 
which was not the best movie of the the year. It was the second biggest grosser after Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which actually I don't particularly like, but Batman, because this was the start of like a darker superhero thing. But yeah, there'd been the Superman movies, but this is where it starts with sort of like a, you know, more darkness as it were, and a bit more mature and you didn't feel like an idiot being a teenager liking superheroes. And it was a huge hit, and I remember coming back home afterwards, walking down the streets, it was dark, and I was a bit scared. Even though A, I was a teenager, and B, I'd just seen a movie. And also, Batman invented the 12 rating in England, or Britain, I should say, because before that it was either PG or 15, and it was too intense for a PG, but it clearly didn't have enough violence in it for to make it a 15, so this is how important Batman was. It actually created a whole new classification, which fast-forwarding to 2023, we're still using. So there we go, Batman. 1990, Goodfellas. To me, it meant being somebody in a neighborhood that was full of nobodies. They weren't like anybody else. I mean, they did whatever they wanted. They double-parked in front of a hydrant, and nobody ever gave them a ticket. I think you can tell I quite like gangster movies. So, again, you all know Goodfellas, so I'll just move on. Then, 1991, again, a really hard choice between Terminator 2, which, again, it's not going to surprise you. Everybody knows I like a bit of Arnie. I'll be back. But Silence of the Lambs. You still wake up sometimes, don't you? You wake up in the dark. Hear the screaming of the lamb. Now, this is one that kind of people do still talk about, but I think it's kind of been turned into just mean worthy, you know, Chianti. I ate his liver with a Chianti, you know, all that kind of thing. Father beans and a nice Chianti. I got there in the end with a quote. Probably Greg's put it in and it sounds a lot better. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Anyway, I saw it with my older teenage son, I don't know, about six months ago, and just watching it again, it's like, good lord, this is amazing. I mean, no wonder it won the five big Oscars, you know, this best actor, best actress, best director, best film, and best screenplay, I think. So, you know, it's got all the top ones, and Anthony Hopkins is barely in it for 25 minutes. I think it's slightly less than 25 minutes, and yes, he wins best actor. And you don't think he's sneaking it off anybody else. It's mesmerizing what little time he has on the screen. And it is worth remembering, he's not even the main bad guy in it. So, just a phenomenal movie. If it's been a while since you've seen it, or indeed, if you haven't seen any of these films, I guess it's it's hard to sort of like turn around and say, Superman the motion picture. you really got to sit down and watch that. You've got to be a certain type of person to watch a superhero movie from the 1970s. But Silence of the Lambs, that's one I will happily die on that hill. And so we come to 1992. Again, two movies, not exactly worlds apart, but there's Unforgiven. Very powerful sign-off to Clint Eastwood's Cowboys. I don't deserve this. To die like this. Deserves got nothing to do with it. And again, I think this is one of these things where America, just watching on the sidelines, America has become so polarised politically that even if you know the politics of the directors or actors, this can start influencing people. Now, Hollywood and film reviewers tend to be left-leaning, Democrats, if you like. So if you've got somebody who's an overt Republican, people start sort of like dismissing them. And it's like, well, yes, okay, Clint Eastwood is a Republican. He's not a sort of crazy Republican who was there on January the 6th sort of saying stop the steal or anything like that. He's a sort of old-fashioned Republican. Let's face it, the man's in his 90s. So, yeah, he's going to be old-fashioned. But this is a great movie. I don't care about the politics of these people. I mean, look, there are some pretty odious left-wing individuals. There's some people who turned out to do 
horrible things to other people. So, you know, this is a classic thing of separate the art from the artist. Unforgiven is an absolutely classic, monumental Western at a time when Westerns are kind of over, as it were. And then the other one is a very small film, which I have mentioned before, called Glen Gary, Glen Ross. This is the definitive look at sleazy salespeople. You know what it takes to sell real estate? It takes brass balls to sell real estate. And seeing I've worked in sales in the past, this is the thing where when you see Alec Baldwin, Alec Baldwin is in this movie for just seven minutes. He's in one scene, turns up seven minutes. Up until then, he'd always played the hero and things like The Hunt for Red October. And after this, he plays bad guys ever since, or like sleazy business people, because of this one scene where after seven minutes work, he gets nominated for Best Supporting Actor. And it is a phenomenal scene. He doesn't win, sadly. But, you know, it's got Al Pacino. It's got Jack Lemmon. It's just, it's got so many. It's got a young Kevin Spacey. Sorry about that. But the main cast, every single one of them, have either won an Oscar or been nominated for an Oscar. Ed Harris is in there. He's not even the biggest name. This is a phenomenal piece of, like, machismo and just sort of, like, dirty dealing. And if you like speaking to somebody who's been in business... It's movies like this that cause problems where everybody thinks salespeople are out to get you, like in this movie. They're not, for the record. But this is just a phenomenal piece of work. And almost nothing happens in it. This is just rooms and people talking. It's based on a Pulitzer Prize-winning play. And so it's not very kinetic. It's, it's not very cinematic. But my God, the acting is first rate in that movie. So, 1993. Jurassic Park. I'm just going to say this. One of the things I think is genius about Jurassic Park... Actually, do you know what? I've already said that one in the episode about Jurassic Park, which I did with Greg earlier this year. So, you want to know more? We've done a whole episode on Jurassic Park. There we go. 1994, Pulp Fiction. Got to be. You know what they call a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? I mean, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the quarter pounder is. What do they call it? They call it the Royale with cheese. You know, huge Tarantino fan. He cropped up a couple of times on this list. But Pulp Fiction, when it came out, if you if you weren't around and sort of like, I, I was a student, I was a perfect year for, for Pulp Fiction, 1994, and just, it was everywhere. And the Uma Thurman outfit, which was just simply a black, simple bob, white shirt, black trousers, that could be mimicked by anybody on any budget. And just every girl in 1994 at university dressed like Uma Thurman. So it's a great film. It really changed things. People are talking about how long it was at two and a half hours. Of course, nowadays, that's, that's positively breezy, but also the way it sort of chopped up the narrative as well. It's one of these films that people forget. Bruce Willis is in it, and he's good, okay? is isn't just Die Hard for Bruce. So, yeah, there we go. That's Pulp Fiction. 95, 7. This guy's methodical, exacting, and worst of all, patient. What a powerhouse of a movie 7 is. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, what an ending of that film as well. Just so, so powerful. It's a great film. I actually was even, it even made me think, you know, I'd love to be a police detective and work through these crimes. And I remember one of my friends saying to me, so I was sort of sitting there, I don't know, in a pizza hut or something going, Jim, you, you do know most crimes don't involve sort of like Renaissance poetry. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you're probably right on that one. <laughs> so yeah, that's seven. Then we move on to 96 and we get the kind of first full on British film, Train spotting. I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? There are no reasons. 
which again, like Pulp Fiction, you had to have been there. If you were somebody in your 20s when Train Spotting came out in Britain, this was just the film. This was the soundtrack to that summer. I remember in that summer, I also started doing parachuting. Now, for the record, if anybody says, oh yeah, I've done a parachute jump, I've done tandem jump, it's like, no, you haven't done parachuting. I wanted to know, do I have the wherewithal to get out of an airplane on my own, okay? Being strapped to somebody who knows what they're doing, and then them saying, right, three, two, one, we're out of here. I mean, okay, yeah, great, good. For, if that's what you want to do, you do you, but that's not the same as you doing it yourself. Now, for the record, when you're learning, it is called static line. So that is exactly what they did in like the World War II movies with the paratroopers. In other words, your parachute is basically attached by string to a cord inside the plane. So as you jump out, the parachute starts deploying. And so I will never forget the first time I did it. It was, you just feel indestructible when you finally land on the ground, look up at that plane high up in the sky and think, wow, I, I did that. And I remember driving back with my friend Simon, you know, we we had to wait because we were learners, you had to have really great visibility, you had to have the wind under five miles an hour, you had to have a pretty high cloud covering, all these things are hard in Britain, okay? We went with some other people, they all got bored and left, but we managed to get on one just before the suns were starting to set, which again, you can't deploy if you're a, a junior at night time for obvious reasons. And I remember the two of us driving back in the car to Born Slippy from the train spotting album that's just one of the happiest moments of my entire life i've got a whole story around the whole parachuting thing i'll tell that for another time but train spotting is just a, a remarkable movie and it brought to the world ewan mcgregor that i mean he'd already been in another film like that it's a danny boyle film i should say shallow grave for the record but this is the one where suddenly everybody kind of wanted to be ewan mcgregor even though he's playing a heroin addict so anyway it's a hard-hitting movie i'm not saying it i mean i'm, I'm making it out to be fun and if you like like a lot of drugs movies, it starts off with everybody having fun, and it all goes very, very badly wrong. It's basically showing you what happens if you become a drug addict. And it's based on the incredible book, which is written in sort of like Scottish dialect. So you're having to sit there almost translating it, which was, I mean, again, everybody. Irvin Welsh wrote Trainspotting. It was everywhere in the mid-90s. And so that was just a, a film of its time that, you know what, still holds up today. Then we got 1997, it's got to be Face Off. I'd like to take his, his face off. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. 
LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's just one of the great action movies, John Woo. It was like the last really great solid movie that John Travolta did after sort of like having his career relaunched by Pulp Fiction a few years earlier. And he started doing some really interesting projects, but this was the other one where it's like it was a huge movie and, you know, by then, everybody loved John Woo's sort of, like, double gunplay in slow-mo with doves. And, like, it's also Nicolas Cage. And, he, he, yeah, it's just a great, fun action movie. Don't think too hard about it. It doesn't make a lick of sense. But anyway, 1998. Well, the the head says Saving Private Ryan. It's it's simply so important. I remember the shock it gave me in the, in the cinema. I have a letter here. Written a long time ago to a Mrs. Bixby in Boston. Bear with me. Dear madam, I have been shown in the files of the War Department a statement of the Adjutant General of Massachusetts that you are the mother of five sons who have died gloriously on the field of battle. Again, that friend I mentioned, we were driving back from parachuting. We were again sitting there watching Saving Private Run. We came out of it and he said, you know, he just felt nervous when, when you're in the landing craft and the front goes down, the bullets start flying. And he was just talking about how visceral that was to, to him. Simon, for the record. Hello, Simon. So that's the, what the head says. The heart says lock, stock and two smoking barrels. 100 pounds is still 100 pounds. Not when the price is 200 pounds, it's not. Because this is Guy Ritchie's first movie. It's another little British movie. You know, we're getting in the, in the mid-90s, this little renaissance, these little British movies that can. And it was just a real, you know, surprise. It was just so vibrant and different. And sort of like, yes, or some of these stylized ticks of Guy Ritchie have turned into almost cliches, but this is his first one, and it was just glorious and wonderfully British, which, you know, at times, I love Hollywood, but there are times where it's like, I want to see people talking my way in, not in bonnets, but, you know, just walking through London, and it was, yeah, just great, absolutely great. 99, sorry, picking two again, and that is Fight Club. Gentlemen, Welcome to Fight Club. That's just a monumental movie. And Matrix, because, yeah, of course it's the Matrix, so... I'm trying to free your mind, Neo. But I can only show you the door. You're the one that has to walk through it. Those two are both hugely influential, hugely powerful. Both of them stand up so well. Obviously, The Matrix, you know, it's just kind of like a perfect film, like I mentioned some of these other ones. Fight Club is just more edgy and weird. And I love the fact that I think it was in 2021, it was actually released for the first time in cinemas in China, which is insane because it's an anti-authoritarian story and... The other thing is they chopped off the ending and just put up a title saying the police called Tyler Durden and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, what? 
by now, you know, there's been 25 years for people to have discovered what the ending actually was, if, you know, downloaded it if they really wanted to see Fight Club. That was an insane choice by the Chinese government to do. And I also remember getting kind of angry with some people around me because I was, I was forced to watch American Beauty. A, a little bit more on, on the director behind that in a moment, Sam Mendes. But anyway, American Beauty, basically my wife's best friend worked for Sam Mendes. She's, she was incredibly loyal to him. And American Beauty won some Oscars, and everyone went gaga over American Beauty, and I don't know why. I thought it was very pleased with itself, okay? Its basic message was sort of like, you don't need the material things, you've just got to be true to yourself. And it's like, that's the same message as Fight Club, only it's interestingly directed, and, you know, it's actually got some edge to it. And I was told, no, no, Jen, you don't know what you're talking about. And then lo and behold, about six months later, there was a Times article saying, Fight Club and, and American Beauty are both about the same thing. It's all like, yeah, yeah, I know they were. Fight Club's vastly superior to American Beauty, in my opinion. Again, all of this is opinion. This is the films that personally affected me. There we go. Let's move on to 2000. It's only one pick this time. Gladiator. I've already done a whole episode on it. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Again, it's just one of these perfect movies where everybody's brought their A-game and it just creates cinema classic gold, okay? Then, 2001, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. The first of the Peter Jackson movies is one of these things where, like, can this sort of, right, relatively small-time director from New Zealand pull off this almost unfilmable series of books? And the answer was yes, emphatically yes. By my life or death, I can protect you. I will. You have my sword. And you have my bow. And my axe. Oh my god, what an amazing movie. Then, 2002, now we get to a film I love by Sam Mendes, which nobody really talks about anymore. Ro look, American Beauty gets referenced occasionally, but Road to Perdition doesn't. You want to see Tom Hanks playing a bad guy? Well, you know, barely a bad guy, but he is a gangster hitman, so he's not a good guy, but he's also a family man, okay? Tom Hanks is great in this film. It's one of Paul Newman's not absolute last roles, but one of his last great roles. It's so impeccably shot. One of the things that annoys me about American Beauty is Sam Mendes comes from a, a theatrical background, and some of the staging in, in American Beauty, it just looks like it's a stage, okay? It, it doesn't feel real at certain points. Whereas this film is so beautiful, and the camera does so many amazing things. There's some very simple things, like sort of standing in a window, but you get the kind of the reflection of the sea against a picture of, a, of one of the people. It's an amazing gangster film that nobody talks about anymore, and I'm going to say it's one of Sam Mendes' great, great ones, okay? He goes on missions for Mr. Rooney. Take Mike with you. No, Paul, Take Mike with you. Interestingly, it does, does put him with Daniel Craig as well, seeing also Sam Mendes directed Skyfall, for example. So anyway, then we come on to 2003. We got Kill Bill Volume 1 there. Not too long ago. Was quite the professional. My friends and I, we were the creme de la creme in an exclusive industry. And we all worked for this man, Bill. Interestingly, Kill Bill Volume 2 isn't on the list, but yeah, again, it's one of these films where 
you had to be there to see its impact. If you were in your 20s or, you know, I'm now, I guess I'm, I'm hitting 30. You know, it was just something that in the cultural zeitgeist, and it was a really good film as well. You know, showing to everybody Tarantino has still got it, if you like, you know, 10 years into his career. Then we've got 2004, Jen had difficulty remembering numbers there, and we've got Collateral. Someday, someday my dream will come. One night you'll wake up and you'll discover it never happened. It's all turned around on you. It never will. Suddenly you are old. This is the first time Tom Cruise comes onto the list. And a Michael Mann film, Michael Mann loves his kind of like, sort of like dialed down, dark kind of thrillers. I'm sorry, Heat didn't get to hit the list here, but Collateral, there's a big thing about how Tom Cruise is aging up a little bit, putting on a, a sort of a, a grey wig. That's the only time he's basically played old, because since then, he's just always been younger than he actually is. But it's a great tense thriller with Jamie Foxx as well, sort of like picking him up as the cab, uh, cab driver and... I'm going to say, as usual with Michael Mann, sometimes the endings don't quite work. You know, if you like, 95% of it is a five-star movie, the ending is fine, but it depends on a bit too much of a coincidence for everything to sort of tie together and make it all work. But, you know, that to one side, it's a very minor flaw in what is an amazing thriller, which again, nobody in 2023 or in the last 10 years has been talking about collateral as a must-see movie. I'm telling you right now, you've got to give it a shot. So then we move to 2005 and Cinderella Man. Again, a completely forgotten Russell Crowe movie based on real history about a boxer during the Great Depression. The thing is, I can't afford to... Uh, I can't afford to pay the heat. And it's just... It, it, it's like Rocky again, only this story genuinely happened. And I had tears in my... Manly tears in my eyes at certain parts of this film. And it's... It's it's just one of these films that works so well. It, you can argue it's a little bit mawkish, but I'm going to say, you know, it's a Ron Howard movie, so mawkish can sometimes be there. But it's it's just, you know, the fight scenes are well directed. Russell Crowe is an amazing actor. It's just, it really works. And if you are, by like by then, I was a dad. Actually, was I a dad by then? No, I I knew I was going to be a dad when I saw this, and and sort of like the, the sort of like the father figure, sort of like trying to earn money and keep the family going. It's it, like Rocky. The amount of fighting in it is ten percent of the movie. It's about it's a character study, is what it is. So yeah, there we go. Cinderella Man, very much forgotten, very good film. Then we've got The Departed in two thousand and six. Not going to see him. You're not going to hear about him except through me or Captain Queenan. You will not ever know the identity of undercover people. It's one of the rare occasions where Martin Scorsese is, is actually remaking something, Infernal Affairs, which was a Hong Kong action movie, and the remake was better, but also the, um, the, the cast in it was just sensational. You've got Matt Damon, Leonardo DiCaprio, Mark Wahlberg, you've got Alec Baldwin, you've also got Martin Sheen, you've got Jack Nicholson. You know, it's, just, it's just a stack of talent on top of each other. 2007, let's go British again with Hot Fuzz. Hag. I beg your pardon. Evil old woman considered frightful or ugly. It's 12 down. Oh, bless you. Didn't do Shaun of the Dead. I actually prefer Hot Fuzz to Shaun of the Dead. That's my personal opinion. If you're going to turn around and say in every possible way Shaun of the Dead is better, I can prove it to you mathematically. Good for you, but I prefer Hot Fuzz. I'm not a great fan of the world's end, by the way, but Hot Fuzz... You know, it's just taking the action genre and then sticking it into sort of a very British small town. 
What a great idea. Lots of fun. Everybody's clearly having the time of their life in this movie. And yet this is one of the examples where it sort of seeps off the screen and you're sitting there with a big smile on your face. 2008 was a really interesting year. I love lots of films from 2008, but there's clearly a winner on this one, and that's The Dark Knight. I knew the mob wouldn't go down without a fight, but this is different. They've crossed the line. You crossed the line first, so you squeezed them, you hammered them to the point of desperation. And in their desperation, they turned to a man they didn't fully understand. Where, basically what I said about Batman in 1989 goes up a whole level I mean, well when i saw batman begins i thought that that's a good film i mean it, it obviously cleanses the palate from the nightmare of batman and robin but it was fine i wasn't blown away but i like the idea that it was a more realistic batman but then 2008 not only is it one of the greatest superhero movies ever it's also one of the greatest heist movies crime thriller i mean you know you can put it into the same category as heat and also Avengers, uh, and yet, but it's sort of like it works in both categories, and it's just a phenomenal movie. Again, you, you've all seen it, and you know what it is. 2009, my other Quentin Tarantino movie, Inglorious Bastards. You probably heard we ain't in the prisoner-taking business. We in the killing Nazi business. Which is just an absolutely phenomenal movie, and Christoph Waltz, he does compelling scenes in English, French, German, and Italian. The opening scene is remarkable, and when they switch to English, it's not to dumb down so that the audience can understand. We find out later that it's basically for a very good plot point reason. He is phenomenal, and quite, rough, quite rightly won an Oscar, but it's just the writing in this film. I thought it would be like The Dirty Dozen, and I remember when I walked out of it the first time, I was a bit disappointed because I thought it'd be a different film. I don't know why, because it's very Tarantino. It's the action is in the dialogue, not in terms of slow-mo with two guns like John Woo. And when I started watching it again on Blu-ray or DVD, I can't remember which, I'd learned to absolutely love it. And of course, the twist at the end, which I'm not going to say. Then we got to 2010 and, and it's Inception. Now, I think Inception is arguably better than Dark Knight. It's, again, just the, the music and everything. I think the Dark Knight's a little bit saggy, absolutely two-faced works in it but it would everyone talks about Heath Ledger it, it's like so it's almost like you could take it I mean it that would it would slightly break it and certainly break the ending and I know what he's going for but the bits that everybody love in it isn't actually the the villain that he has a showdown with at the end of the movie and yet when it comes to Inception just the whole thing works really really well and it, of course it's got that ending at the end where you make up your mind and it's almost like there are moments in the snow and the sort of like the, the mountain base. It's almost like you've got Nolan showing off and saying, I could do Bond, and if I did, I'd do it this way, and it's the be the best Bond movie ever. It's just such a confident film. Dreams, they feel real while we're in them, right? It's only when we wake up that we realize something was actually strange. Then, 2011, we stick with Tom Hardy, who of course is in Inception, with Warrior. Now, nobody talks about Warrior. This is an amazing MMA movie, which stars Tom Hardy, and basically, I, I went with a friend who went, I don't want to see a martial arts movie, 
And I went, I don't think it's that kind of thing. And and in really, this is the first time I'd seen a well-directed mixed martial arts, cage fighting, uh, you know, UFC, call it whatever you want, movie. And the thing about boxing movies is you know the moves. You know, they're going to jab to the face. They're going to sort of like hit the, the ribs or something. Whereas, of course, in this, they can do almost anything. And the first time somebody sort of like kicks somebody, it's like, whoa, can you do that? It's like, of course they can. It's a completely different sport. And it's about two brothers who go to this thing and you know eventually they're going to sort of like fight each other. So unlike Rocky where you're rooting for one guy, this time you're rooting for both of them. And it's it's just an incredibly powerful film. I so recommend Warrior. It did no box office at the time. And I think it's found its place basically on streaming, etc. So check it out if you've ever wondered what it was. Where were you when it mattered? I needed this guy back when I was a kid. I don't need you now. No, it's too late now. Everything has already happened. It's it's not just martial arts all the way through. 2012, Zero Dark Thirty. Again, a film huge at the time. It ended up having to be... They were about to start making it when they actually found and took out Osama Bin Laden. So then they had to somewhat change the end of the movie. Now, very simply, is he there or is he not there? We all come at this through the filter of our own past experiences. Now, I remember Iraq WMD very clearly. I fronted that. And I can tell you the case for that was much stronger than this case. And so they had to reconstruct, and it's an incredibly accurate reconstruction of what happened in the hunt for Osama bin Laden. And it's just, and Jessica Chastain, I got a huge, well, I got a huge crush on her, but I got a huge respect for her. I think she's one of the best actresses sort of working of her generation at the moment. And she's just phenomenal in this movie. And it was a crying shame that she didn't get the Oscar for this. Because this was a very sort of like... It wasn't a very showy role, but it was very real role. And I so rate her in this film. It's a hard watch. What I found interesting is with the torture scenes at the beginning, you had some people saying, ah, oh, this is pro-torture because it shows that it works. And you've got other people saying, ah, oh, this is anti-torture. And, you know, sort of like, you know liberal blah 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 because it's showing that torture doesn't work and it's like well if you've got both sides shouting at the movie then clearly there was a visceral reaction to it and it's probably got it right then if it's managed to annoy both sides so um yeah so zero dark 30 very adult very powerful very hard to watch watch a bit like platoon or something like that but if you haven't seen it check it out 2013 gotta keep going it's gonna be a long one i'm sorry gravity Houston, i have a bad feeling about this mission Please elaborate. That's the same feeling I had about Mardi Gras 1987. Just phenomenal. Look, if you've only ever seen it on your iPhone, go, meh, you're watching it wrong. Got to watch it on the biggest screen available. You know, go to your friend's house with like the 56-inch TV and watch it on that in high def. Then 2014, the Grand Budapest Hotel. The police are here. They asked for you. Tell them I'll be right there. Delightful movie of sort of silliness. I just, uh, I absolutely love it. Ray Fiennes is amazing in it as a central character. You know, people tend to only think of him as like Voldemort, but he's been in some amazing movies. I, I, The English Patient nearly got on the list, but got sort of bumped by something else. So, you know, he's an amazing actor. He isn't just bad guys in things like Schindler's List or Harry Potter. Again, it's one of these things where it looks beautiful. It's beautifully directed. And I just sat there with a big fat smile on my face. Then, 2015, sorry, two movies, Sicario. Yeah, I wouldn't take out a cartel leader. Turn one cartel into 50. Besides, killing kings doesn't start wars, it ends them. That's our concern. 
And a, a bit like Zero Dark Thirty, an amazingly gritty, although this is not a true story, but an amazingly gritty look at the uh, American-Mexican border. There is the most amazing sort of shootout scene in a traffic jam. Traffic jams are never exciting in movies. This is the most gripping traffic jam ever, and it's just one of the best sort of shootouts. Or you might even vaguely call it a car chase, even though the cars are stationary. Phenomenal piece of action there. And also the other one that year is Creed. You want to reboot? You want to do sort of like a, a follow-up of a, of a long-dead franchise? Creed's the way to do it. We got Stallone gets nominated for an Oscar for a role that he first played in twenty in sorry in nineteen seventy six, and you know this is twenty fifteen for heaven's sakes. I was in the ring. I saw how it went down. That fight should have been stopped. I should have stopped it. Michael B. Jordan is amazing as Creed in it. And it's just and, and so it's respectful to the source material. It takes it in its new direction. It's it's just fantastic creed so those are two very different movies 2016 we've got well hacksaw ridge is what i'm going to go for congratulations greaseball you just fell 50 feet and broke your neck now look if i wanted to be pretentious i could say silence by martin scorsese uh it, it was a phenomenal movie but it's one of these films you i think you admire rather than sit there and love also the nice guys came out by shane black he wrote and directed it He's the guy, you know, who sort of like wrote Lethal Weapon and so many other things. But Hacksaw Ridge is an example of, you know, Mel Gibson, whatever his problems may be, he can really pour himself into this movie. And it's a phenomenal film about the Pacific campaign, which is not shown nearly as much as the European campaign. And in this case, it's the only person who was a conscientious objector of a pacifist who actually won the Medal of Honor, which is the highest award that you can get in America. He's a, an amazing story. Andrew Garfield is phenomenal in it. And it's it's just, it's one of these sort of like terrifying, horrifying, draining movies that is also so uplifting as well. It's so worth the journey. And so we come to 2017 and Get Out. Daniel Kaluuya, just amazing in this movie. You know, you got Jordan Peele just sort of showing everybody, hey, yeah, you know, I could do funny stories and, you know, funny jokes and stuff like that. Well, I'm actually a really competent director as well and coming up with this really tight horror movie with also these kind of like undertones about sort of like racism and the African-American experience as well. So it's got something intelligent to say, but also without ramming that down your throat, it's just a really good stripped down horror movie. Such a good film. How rude of me to have touched your belongings without asking. Oh, no, it's cool. I was just confused. Well... I can assure you, there was no funny business. Allow me to explain. 2018? It's gonna be Creed 2. 2018 was actually a bit of a thin year. I didn't have a lot of stuff. I'm sitting there going, oh, I've got to watch this. Oh, there's this amazing sort of Oscar-dripping movie there. So, look, you know, is Creed 2 the greatest movie ever? No, it isn't, but you can clearly see I like, like Rocky and all this kind of stuff. And when I first heard, after Creed came out, it's like, you know, that was brilliant. It takes it in a new direction, but... Where do they go from here? But when they sort of said, we're going to get the son of Apollo Creed, who was killed by Arvin Drago to be fight the son of Ivan Drago, it's like, yeah, I, I had no idea I wanted to see that film, but I do now. And it's great. It's, it's better than you might ever hope for. So it's a real surprise. Again, it's just really good. And when you climb through them ropes... It's going to be the loneliest place in the world because you're going to be in there with another fighter 
The other thing is that they actually put a bit of sort of character spin on Drago and his son. So not as much as Warrior, but, you know, far more than any other movie. You know, basically in something like Rocky 3, for example, you absolutely hate Clubber Lang or Ivan Drago and Rocky 4, etc. So you want Rocky to win, but of course you want Creed to win. But at the same time, you kind of understand the stakes for Drago's son as well. So yeah, it's 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 actually a more sort of like complex film than you might think. Michael B. Jordan just gets super ripped in that film, and there we go. So 2019, two films. Once upon a time in Hollywood, there we go. Tarantino again, so like really back on form. I hated the Hateful Eight. I just thought that that was just a completely self-indulgent movie that thought it was way cleverer than it was. Basically, all the imitators after Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, you know, they sort of like they they kind of. Im- aped it but didn't understand it that's actually what hateful eight was to to me it's sort of like wow you've really lost your luster so really back on form with once upon a time in hollywood one please 75 cents what if i'm in the movie what do you mean i mean i'm in the movie and just like in glorious bastards it kind of rewrites are wrong in history if you like it's genuinely funny there are loads of scenes the easy charisma between brad pitt and leonardo dicaprio there are times when they're sitting there watching tv chatting and it's like i'm not bored by this this works times when brad pitt's just monologuing with his dog and it's a you know absolutely fine a reminder of the great writing ability of tarantino it's just a great film the other one is 1917 I have orders from General Aaron Moore to call off this attack. You're too late, Lance Corporal. Sir, these orders are from Army Command. You have to read them. Because it was a technical marvel. When I heard, oh, it's another film in the trenches. Another Sam Mendes, by the way. So, you know, I do like him. Just really not American Beauty. But it's sort of like, oh, another sort of trench movie. Big deal. But actually, when I found out it's it's sort of done in one shot, obviously it can't possibly be done that. It's like, okay, that sounds technically hard. And it is just an amazing kinetic full-on movie it's it's remarkable and the thing is though because it came out in 2019 actually came out the beginning of 2020 in the uk but you know i'm doing it for the american release but it was in clearly in donald trump's mind because when covid started coming out in 2020 the spanish flu started in 1918 but he kept calling it 1917 because clearly he'd see read stuff about the movie so anyway there we go so then we've got 2020, maybe. Do you know what? May, I, I'm, I'm going to change right now. I'm going to say 2019 is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And because it came out in the UK in 2020, I'm going to say 1917 for that. I mean, obviously, Tenet came out that year just as the lockdowns were sort of like being eased. It was meant to be the movie that sort of saved Hollywood. It's very impressive, but it's the most Nolan Nolan movie. I so desperately wanted to love Tenet and it's like, this is just too complicated and it doesn't necessarily hang up and it's sort of annoyingly obscure at times but you know some of the action set pieces are absolutely phenomenal some of his best so there's a lot to love in Tenet but 1917 is better all right then 2021 June part one I remember sitting there in the cinema going oh my god I haven't felt like this since Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Rings you know this is somebody just bringing a whole world to life the thing must leave you can speak without fear our pet doesn't understand your language get out and it's substantially better than the David Lynch one. And then 2022, it's Top Gun Maverick. It's got to be because it was like, yes, this is why the cinema exists. And if you 
Again, if you only ever see that on your iPhone, you're watching it wrong. But the beginning of 22, there was The Northman, which I really liked. I've done a whole episode on that, so feel free to listen to that episode there. It's a very impressive but kind of acquired taste. I simply had more fun with Top Gun Maverick. Your reputation precedes you. Thank you, sir. Wasn't a compliment. And the other one I'm going to say, which again, done a whole episode on, is All Quiet on the Western Front. But... You know, look, All Quiet on the Western Front is more beautiful than the other two put together, but Top Gun Maverick is why cinema's there, okay? So I'm just going to sort of put it out there. That's that's what I'm saying about that one. And so that gives you 50 movies in 50 years. I hope you enjoyed this one. Maybe it'd be interesting to see, look, if you feel really strongly, it's like, hey, Jem, why didn't you say this one? Well, I've told you why. These are my personal picks, but you might want to ask me, at Jem Deducci online, so feel free to, or on Twitter, I should say, so, you know, say hello to me there. Tell me, you know, have I inspired you to watch a film that you've been meaning to get around? Is there a film on this list that you absolutely hate? Feel free to say, look, you know, you may have grown up with Ghostbusters, but I've seen it and I found it misogynistic and the special effects have really aged badly or whatever. You know, I'd be interested to see your take on these films. And indeed, I'd love to hear. It's always great. It always fills me with joy when people say, hey, you talk so passionately about The Thing. I ended up watching The Thing. So, um, I I mean, literally, the film The Thing came out in 1982. But anyway, now I'm talking about, you know, whatever I was talking about on the podcast episode. But here I've introduced you to probably about 56, maybe 60 movies. Feel free. Have a go. That's it. As always, another episode coming soon. Just before we wrap up this podcast and head on to the customary music, this is Greg, the producer, just stepping in from behind the scenes to say... This is Jem's 50th year. Happy birthday to Jem. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I think this is a fantastic reason for you to go and check out some of Jem's books if you haven't already. He's got lots of history books, a few historical fiction books. You'll find them all if you go to Amazon or whatever bookstore you use. Type in Jem Deducci, you will find a list of his books. And if you like listening to them, then you can head over to Audible or any good audiobook online store where you will find Silent Crossroads, read by myself, which is Jem's World War I, World War II historical fiction book, and I put it up there as one of the best books I have ever read. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.